few weeks ago, I, I was sitting over there and I was thinking this one thought, what would a life 100% consumed by God look like? Because to be honest, it's like I don't think my life is 100% consumed by God. Okay, I'm not trying to like, you know, I'm trying to go for that 100%. Like, you know, what would that look like? And all I felt God put two biblical characters and one another I don't even know this person's name until I went and looked for it. I, I only knew what he said and the saying. But I had to go find a scripture for this, right? So go with me to 2 Corinthians 3.18. I'm going to read you. And I'll be reading the first one through the Passion Translation, and then we'll read the second one through the Amplified. 2 Corinthians 3.18. We can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces. First thing, we can all, every one of you in this room, everyone can draw near to him with the veil removed from our faces. What is your veil? What is restricting you from taking it out and going to him? Sometimes it's just as simple as that. I could preach a message just on that veil. What are the veils over your face? Because the power and the presence of God is unrestricted. The glory of God is not like, okay, I'll only give you little today, come back tomorrow and I'll give you little. The glory of God is you. You see? I, okay, I'll go ahead and then we, I'll give you the example. And with no veil, we all become mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transferred into his, uh, transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Go, put the Amplified. And we all with unveiled face, continually seeing as in a mirror. That's it. From this Amplified, I want you to pick on that. Continually seeing as in the mirror. Okay, the example is, if the glory of God is here, and we are the mirrors, okay, are we really positioning ourselves to the presence of God? Are we coming closer? Are we just sitting in the corner of the rooms and we're staying at the back and we're like, yeah, I can see Jesus partly through what you're saying, but I'm not coming in face to face with that presence of God and saying, hey, I want to be that mirror. In that, can you, can you see the difference? Our lives are positioned of how we are positioning ourselves to the presence of God. If we're basically saying, oh, okay, I seen you on Sunday. Good luck. Are you really 100% reflecting the very presence of God in your daily life if all you have done is a Sunday ritual? Right? And it's funny it's because to me it's like, you know, I want to see him. I want to see Jesus. I want to stand in front of him. I want to, like, you know, we, we, we tell these stories of Moses, and if you go back to this 2 Corinthians 3.8, it basically talks about Moses, that Moses, like, even had the glory of God, but it was, like, diminishing. It literally says that. And we are basically think that is the highlight of our lives, is the day we see the glory of God, that we want to be like Moses, and we want to walk out of this room. I've always dreamt of that. I want to go to the restaurant we eat at 12 o'clock with a veil on my face because the glory of God came. Yeah, 
that that is my intention is I want to go and then I at the restaurant I want to pull off the veil and I want to reflect that full glory of God that people goes like what's wrong what's going on you see but now that is an old the new is that we could 100% carry the glory of God and reflect it ably the way that God wants to if we draw close but you have to be continually seeing in that mirror you have to be continually seeing in that presence. I've seen him. I've seen his eyes. I've seen the fire in his eyes. He's the fairest of 10,000. He's the lily of the valleys. And I have an experiential face to face with the king. I see him. And I can tell you this. I have no time to even look away from his eyes. Forget about the rest of his face. I don't even have time. His eyes... If I look into those eyes, I just look, and it's like, I'm not even, like when I fell in love with Court, I don't think I spend like hours looking into Court's eyes. I know Court's one eye is different, and the other eye is different, and like, you know, and to me, it's like, huh? yeah, different colors, not different, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but to me, it's like when you gaze, like Jesus, for some reason, just captivates my imagination, everything in me. It's just, I just look into his eyes. It's like, I, even if I want to see what the room looks like or what is happening in this room, I just focus on his eyes. Because when I look at his eyes, I'm seeing it through his eyes. Because with my eyes, all I have is biased opinions. All I have is my experiences. But with Jesus' eyes, all I'm seeing is the love that he has for you. You see, when we start looking at that, we automatically translate that. It's kind of like, okay, let me give you an example. If you came to church, right, following a relationship, right, you came because of a girl or a guy or whatever, right, all you did is focus everything on that, but you missed that Jesus was in the room, the real lover of your soul. You see? You, and, and then when the relationship doesn't happen, you're dejected with God and you are angry with Jesus and you just said, ah, I'm not even ready to do this thing. But you never really focused on him, but you want to place the blame of your relationship on God. How is that fair to Jesus? I'm, I'm advocating for Jesus this morning. <laughs> he is my advocate, but I'm advocating for him is that your relationship has nothing to do with God, and then when it doesn't work out, you want to blame God? Uh-uh, that doesn't work. False. Fact check that. Huh. Oh. So go, go to, so, so the two people in the Bible that God basically put on my heart was Daniel and Stephen. Oh, I don't know if you all know Stephen. Stephen in the book of Acts, right? So I was looking at Daniel. Now everybody loves Daniel, but Daniel was, you know, up there. He was second to the king, and like he had all the power and everything. But what we forget is if you go Daniel 1, verse 3 and 4, the Daniel and all were taken from their families. As young kids, they were taken from their families. Can you imagine the trauma that they went through? You know what I can liken it to today? It's, you know, in Afghanistan, the Taliban taking these kids. That. So when you, you said that, the heart of God is on those kids. But you know what is, what is more crazier? That I sat on that for like weeks, this, that one thing, because I just couldn't shake it. I couldn't shake it. 
You know why? Afghanistan is next door to Babylon where they were taken. Daniels can arise even after of a tough situation. It doesn't matter what your situation was. It doesn't matter what you came through. But a Daniel can arise. So even right now, Father, we pray, oh God, in the midst of this time, oh God, we pray for the children in Afghanistan, oh God, taken away from their families, oh God, and we pray for Daniels to arise, oh God, even in the onslaught of whatever the enemy throws at them, oh God, that you are able to cause Daniels to arise. So arise, Daniels, oh God. We release that, oh God, even into the air. And even as we pray for their children, oh God, we pray for our children, oh God, that Daniels arise, oh God. Daniels arise, oh God, in every nation, in every country, in every people group, oh God. We pray, oh God, for the men and women, oh God, of God, oh God, even right now, in the adolescence, oh God, to arise, oh God. So let Daniels arise. Let Daniels arise. Let Daniels arise. We as a church, oh God, call them forth, oh God. Even into every persecuted land, oh God. Even every any place, oh God. Let Daniels arise. Let Daniels arise. Ha. Daniel 1.8. Daniel basically says he didn't want to defile himself with Babylonian ways. Ha. Can you imagine a lifestyle of this kid who's taken away, who's trying, supposed to fit in with the people who he's taken to. And he says, nah. I'm not going to defile myself with your ways. As a church, as yeah, I would say children in the church, we basically have this option. Are you going to become the Babylonian ways? Babylon is defined by money and, you know, everything, fame, fortune, everything, right? It's how many million likes. You know, if Jesus was on, if Jesus was on TikTok, <laughs> and Jesus was on Instagram, they would tell Jesus, you have a problem. The first time you basically multiplied, you fed 5,000. The second time you did 4,000. Your ratings are dropping, Jesus. <laughs> the baskets we collected the first time were more. The second time is not enough. You need your media team to work on stuff. This is where, and the, the beauty of it is, Unless you die, unless the seed dies, it brings no fruit. For your fruit to be known, it's not how many million likes you have. It's are you able to die? Are you able to die? Like I, I was talking to John the other day. When, I, I, when the anointing is on, right, I've, I can basically walk through walls. I, to me, okay, I'm not bragging about this. It, when the anointing is on, it's for a job. It's to do stuff. I become ferocious like a lion. I just can tear anything that I feel that is not right of God, I feel I can tear it, and I go for it, okay? Why we don't have this anointing every moment of our life? See, the challenge for my life is I need that to follow me every day of my life, every moment of my life, where I can walk in, I seen a guy dancing on the street, absolutely out of his mind. And I was like, what do I do now? That's what, I want to basically go in and like, you know, challenge and tear it down. One guy walked in front, of, okay, downtown gets crazy in the night, okay? I got to tell you this. This one guy walked across me and he's growling at me. And I literally wanted to park the guy and just go at him. But I was like, all right, I have to go to Coates concert. And, you know? and I'm like, but in my head, 
I'm basically focusing that this is what I'm going after. This is what, if this is a mental situation, I want to deliver with the guy right now. My, my focus is looking at those things that are basically not of God and bringing it down unto the knowledge of, unto the feet of Jesus. You see, we have that authority. We all, because this, this is what the Bible says. I know Pastor Lina has pre preached about power. We want the power, right? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be endured from power on high. Holy Spirit. Do you have the Holy Spirit? That's it. The key. You're waiting for somebody to lay hands on you and activate you and trigger you and just say, wow, wow, now you can move in it. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you believe that simple thing what the Holy Spirit says, go forth and preach. You will do all things and greater things than these will you do. This is the simplicity of the gospel. You see, I don't have a 10-page program for you to follow and then say, okay, after that you'll be activated and sent out and all, you know. That is one way of doing it because people feel they need to be given the permission. You have the permission. God has given you the permission to just go and do it. You see, Daniel 3, 18, uh, 3 16 to 18. This is where Daniel's other friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? So the, they say that, hey, you have to bow down and worship the thing and all. And this is what their reply is. If this is, that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, pause. But if not. We, we, we want to preach a victorious message. But what if the victory was in that if not? If not, we'd lost our lives, but we gained heaven. If not, are you comfortable with this message? Right? Because if not, what will happen? They will kill us. Are you okay with that? You see, we have put a long time people, we have put the churches into an ease position Come, be blessed, and all that. But we've never considered this if not. If not, would you still be in this place if you're told not to show up? Would you be arrested? Would you still come into this place if not? What is that if not that you feel that you cannot, you back out of? That, that, that's all we basically have to. We are worried about, oh, these vaccine passports and all, which have nothing about the Bible in it. If it said, deny the name of Jesus, the vaccine passport doesn't have the name of Jesus. Now I just tell you, deny the name of Jesus, if not, which is more important. Stop preaching, if not. I, I preached in the Middle East. I walked on the streets and we looked for cops, plainclothes cops to basically come in this thing, and it doesn't matter. It's you basically stood over there and you just talked to people, made conversation, and if you got caught, you got caught, but if not, would you still stop it? They told you not to. But the message that you have in your heart has to be greater that you just say, hey, I have to share this. You see? So like when I'm telling you about the beauty of Jesus, that it comes when you just gaze upon his face, it is present for you. It is not that, oh, only one person can have it. You have it. You have the ability. All you have to do is just say, okay, God, I'm going to spend this time and I'm going to look at you. 
I'm not going to ask you anything. I'm not going to tell you what you have to do. I'm just going to spend time looking at you. The, go, go to Daniel 6.10. So Daniel, you have to read the, this whole thing of Daniel. I'm just trying to concise it down to what is, you know, the main gist of this. So Daniel basically, you know, they, people hate Daniel and they try to set him up and, you know, they try to mess with him and all that. And so they know that he prays. See, this is the funny part of it. Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, okay, so Daniel knew that the document was signed that he'd have to bow down to the king, right, to the, and worship that. And he, or oh, stop praying. Stop praying. Welcome. Stop worship. Stop praying. Hey, hey, I'm telling you, this is a government edict. Stop praying. Can you stop that? If you think you can, sure, do it, because that's your choice. It's not a biblical foundation. Daniel basically said, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he went into his house. And now in his roof chamber, his windows were open towards Jerusalem. He never even hid. He never even tried to say, oh, let me be a closet Christian. Let me just say, okay, I'll say my prayers, and I'll just come out, and I'll just be nice to you. We're being nice to people like, you know, people think that those were, what we talked about, those gemstones, those they have those, they're praying. I don't know if you understand, the New Age people, those crystals, that the crystals have healing, and these crystals have that, you know. And I goes like, yeah, we can just pray the anointing on that, and we can basically do that. Like, you know, but to, to them, it's like, I could be a closet Christian, and very relevant to today's world. I could be a closet Christian, and I could just be nice to you. That's all I'm called to do. Are you? Is that what you, Jesus told you? Is that what the Holy Spirit that endured you with power on high basically is putting into you and saying, hey, okay, go forth and do this? No, it's not. He continued to get down on his knees three times a day. If we were basically said, you're going to be arrested for praying, how many of us would really get arrested? That you're praying one time a day. I, and I'm bringing this. I'm, I'm not even like mincing my words. I'm telling you, if you, we were told as Christians, we are going to arrest you if you pray once a day, how many of you would get arrested? That's where the church is. Think about that. Forget three times a day and the Muslims are praying five times a day. Five times a day. Loud. In the direction of Medina. And Daniel was praying in the direction of Jerusalem. To me, sometimes, you know, we have to talk like this. Because it shakes people up. And the more we shake people up, it brings them out of that slumber. Awaken, awaken them. Acts 6.5. Stephen, a man full of faith in Jesus. And filled and led by the Holy Spirit. This is the Amplified Translation. The Passion Translation goes, Stephen, a man full of faith and overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Do you know how Stephen, or why Stephen was picked? Stephen was picked because the widows were not getting the right portion of ration. Can you imagine? This person is filled with the Holy Spirit and all, but his job at the church that was assigned to him was to just deal with people's ration and wait on tables and make sure they had what they had to. What we have created is a, 
what do you call it, the marketing principle. We basically created the spotlight me mentality where everybody has to be on the spotlight. What about everybody else who is just serving? Hey, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, overflowing with the Holy Spirit, and he's serving tables. Does it shock you that we're basically trying to create this thing, but hey, we really, everybody wants to be this person on the stage or with the mic or with the spotlight, but nobody really wants to serve. See, we're we, we creating this because this is what we have given our focus to. When we basically highlight that the, even the smallest in the room who's working is the greatest, we will automatically change the understanding of the church. Verse 8, now Stephen, full of grace, divine blessing, favor, and power, and power, okay, was doing great wonders and signs, attesting miracles among the people. He was not just an ordinary person who just was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was working miracle signs and wonders everywhere he went, but he was still serving tables. You see, sometimes it becomes beneath us, and we basically try to just say, mm -mm, you all do it, I'm not. It, it doesn't work like that. Christianity is about killing yourself. When you think that you're too high and mighty, you need to go low. You need to humble yourself. And this is what we have done, because we want to be known. It's like, how many followers I have, and how many this thing. But really, are they really your followers? Really? Do they dress like you? When I looked at Ben, when he came in, he had a t-shirt like me. I was like, oh, I like a t-shirt like that. I had that mustard t-shirt, and I was like, wow. It's like, yeah, but Ben's not a follower of me. <laughs> like, you know, but he can dress like me, you know. Not really. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just messing with you, Ben. Ben has cool outfits. Acts 7, 54 to 58. Now when they heard this accusation and understood its implication. So Stephen preaches a message to the whole Sanhedrin and everybody because they were accusing him of all these things that he said. They made up stuff and all. Okay? And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they began grinding their teeth in rage at him. You have two options always when the word of God speaks to you that you will either get upset, you'll get angry, or you'll accept and you'll fall on your face and you'll repent. Just two options. They basically went next level. They grind their teeth and they were screaming. And demonic possession sometimes does that to you. Whether you believe it or not, it is very true. When the word of God comes, sometimes you wonder why I'm angry. Why, oh, this person said this. Oh, I'm hurt. But you, really, if it is the truth, should it really hurt you or should it set you free? You see, we've gone to a gospel where we basically said, let me appease you so that you know you don't grind your teeth, your Invisalign doesn't come to bits. But hey, what if I, you had to be set free by the word? The word of God is able to set you free. We have relied a long time on the laying of hands and everything. But with the speaking of the word, I'm able to set you free. Set you free from all kind of religious tradition. That's what Jesus did. He went into the thing and he set people free by just speaking the word. Teaching them in parables. See, it's funny, when I started work at Hess many years ago. Dang, that's a long time. Many years ago. They told me that I was a philosopher because I talked like one. 
And I was basically just talking about whatever the Bible said, and I was paraphrasing it, and I was not saying anything else. And they said that I was a philosopher. Some, that, that's all you need? Okay. We go there. The, okay. The fun, the best scripture, I think, of this whole passage is this verse 55. But he being full of the Spirit and led by him, gazed into heaven and saw the glory, the great splendor and majesty of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Can you imagine, in the midst of when people are cursing you, and grinding their teeth, and all at you, that all you're doing is because you're full of the Holy Spirit, you're just focused on heaven. Be heavenly-minded in all these things. Look above. Can you imagine, in the onslaught of persecution, where they're wanting to kill you, all you can think about is, I'm just focused on Jesus. This flesh doesn't matter. To live is Christ, to die. Yeah? It just... Think of it. In creating a understanding for us because sometimes we get so caught up is he said this and she said this and on, you know, all the keyboard trolls and warriors and everybody and we are all worried about what the intent of those words were whereas all Stephen did was just look at Jesus. He knew he was going to die. He knew he was going to die. Why do I preach this message? When I became a Christian, I knew that this is what I was signing up for. I never changed. I never said, okay, I'll let me temper it down. I just knew if I'm following Jesus at some point, there will come a time. And that's what I told Court when I met Court. I said, Court, I have to tell you this, that there may be a time, I'm comfortable with this, but I want you to get comfortable with this idea that I would get martyred for Christ. Are you okay with it? I, I cannot promise you anything else. I have to promise you, I love Jesus more. <laughs> That's it. We, we, we come with this thing, I'll promise you the moon and all that. I can't. <laughs> I can't. It's like, you know, I, I don't even know what to tell you, but I'm like just telling you this one thing. If that call on my life basically is for being martyred, it is a yes. Now I know, I know, I always say this, is like at that moment, we can prepare ourselves with all this understanding and everything. At that moment, the real heroes arise and they lay down their lives more willingly than people who have prepared for this. But it's like you have to prepare yourself. You have to. I don't know how to explain to you, we're still in this comfortable Christianity. We're still in this little bubble where we're basically, you know, but we, we want to go and share the gospel in millions of other countries, but we don't want to preach it over here. Because why? Because we don't want to break our bubble. God, break our bubbles. Just break our bubbles. Huh. Yeah. You know what's funny? And he said, look, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That's the only time Jesus, who has ascended on the throne, has stood up. If he did it for Stephen, won't he do it for you? You see, he gives these martyrs a new name. Think of it. It's a very different situation of this. 
And what, what is the intent of me bringing this, right? I was caught by this one verse or one phrase that I heard. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. So we go to Jesus' school. We visit them in Orlando. And, and these guys pray this so much that it got into my heart. And I'm like, I have to find this. You know, and all of them just say it. It's like, yeah, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. But it's their prayer. Why are you worshiping that made the lamb receive the reward of his suffering? Why are you kneeling down? Why are you crying? Why that Jesus may receive the reward of his suffering? Think of it. If our whole gospel got condensed to this line, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. He died for us. And all we have is now, hey, Jesus, this is for you. Jesus, I do it. Do it unto God. Right? That's what we say. We are doing it unto God. Let this be done unto God. You see, now, everything that you do, let it come from this. Do you know where this verse came? Quote, do you know? Do you remember? Okay. Anyone in this room knows where this thing came? Have you heard this? May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. You heard that. Yeah. So, okay. Let me give you a little bit of church history. Okay. In around 1700s, you know, the church was being persecuted and all. And, like, these people ran away and they found refuge in this one. I think he was German, Count Zindendorf. He basically bought land of his inheritance and he said, hey, you're welcome. Do whatever you have to do for the gospel, right? And so these people, they formed a little community over there. It was called Her Hut. Her Hut or Her Hun. And they basically, what it means in German, I think, is the watch of the Lord, okay? So when these people came in, they basically, you know, there was people from different churches that were running away, came in. They were Anglican, Dutch Reformed, all these little, little things. They came in, and they were bickering and fighting among themselves. And one day, 19, I think, 27, or 1727, they had a crazy communion service where the presence of God came in, and they don't even know whether they were alive or they were dead. It was so real in the room, the presence, the presence of heaven. You know what the date was? August 13th. Do you know what is August 13th? My birthday. Okay. Do you know how much that wrecked me? 1727, August 13th of all the days? Hey, to me, that is just a second. Hey, this is for you. This is for you. You know from Anne Court's birthday, she's waving out from the back. Okay, Court. Court and me are born on the same day. Okay. So, but, but think of it. It's, and then these guys, 24 men and 24 women, decided that every day they're going to pray for one hour. Just one hour. Okay, and they did that for hundred years. That's Moravian history. Okay, out of that, well, this is how crazy it is. People were sent out, like three hundred missionaries went, and they were the earliest sending church in those days. Right, were sending out missionaries with that to go into the world. Two young Moravian guys, and their names are. Let me see. One was a count. John Leonard Dober and David Nisman, 
Okay? So they felt this call to preach the gospel because they heard a story that they were, uh, there was people in West Indies who were basically having 2,000 to 3,000 slaves. And these guys from Germany, a little town in Germany, wanted to go over there and preach the gospel to them. They felt this call. God is able to do anything. In the 1700s, think of it. They, it was a little town, no passport, no nothing. They just went and they just pleaded to people. They even told these slave people who would take slaves, say, hey, just take us. And they're like, look around. Everybody's black. And you're two white German guys. How are we going to take you? They said, we are going to pay you to take us. They said, no, we can't take you as slaves. So they said that, oh, I'm a carpenter, and he's something else. He'll work something. Just take us. So they decided to sell themselves as slaves so that they could go. You know, and when that boat was pushing off, that verse that I just, no, it's not a verse. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering was the last words these people said as the boat pushed off. They were going to St. Croix. They didn't know where they were, whether they were going to come back or no. Okay? Think of it. Sometimes these are things. You know Count Zundendorf? He was, he was in a museum. He's a count. He was a very rich guy. And he says, I have done, at the base of this painting he's seen, I have done this for you. Now what have you done for me? And that's what captivated him. I've done. He, and he said, he sold Yaks for his inheritance, bought this land, and set up this whole thing. Think of it. There's sometimes these little things that capture imagination, but is what we are called for. You have to just pay attention to those little things and just say, okay, God, why is it burning? Why are these people groups suddenly just becoming so real to me? You know, I have no idea why I love them so much or why I feel like it's just today. I, okay, honestly, today, I just feel like praying for young people, for youth, and for everything right now. It's like, you know, and to me, in that sense, it was like, Hey, so even when I was praying that Daniel, I was praying for not only them, I was praying for our youth, I was praying for our children. I, I, to me, that is the heart of God. Because they need to catch that fire. They need to be like these two young people who just said, may the lamb receive the reward of his suffering. Our lives have to be reflected of that. What are you doing this for? Why are you living this Christian life? Why are you coming to church every day? Why are you doing anything that you do? that the lamb may reward, receive the reward of his suffering. That's it. Singular purpose. You know, it, to, to me, it becomes that. Once you, that is your focus, then like Daniel, you don't worry about what they did, what he said, what she said, and you don't focus on all that. You just know why you're called. We spend a lot of time trying to get people to know what they're called for. Let, so cut to the chase. This is what you're called for. That the lamb may receive the reward of his suffering. That's it. That like when Stephen was giving him that reward, he's saying, hey, Jesus. Jesus stood up from his throne. Come on, man. If a king has to stand up from his throne to receive you, that is amazing. But the king of kings and the Lord of lords standing up from his throne, how much more he loves you. You see, what we forget, but we do everything for us. Let me do it for my reward. Let me do it for my bank balance. Let me do it for what I need. What does Jesus need of you this morning?
See, and I cut this whole Moravian history down to like the smallest, the smallest I can think of, because I do want us to pray. I feel this thing about that we need prayer. So I don't know if you're free to join. I don't know how I'm going to pray or where I'm going to go, but I prayed that God, I want to be in the deepest part of the river this morning. That this is my heart. It's like God, I don't want to go because I have so many stories. Like I, I can show you like what it looked like. I can tell you it's like you know different things. Like, oh, do you want to know the coolest thing? So these Moravian guys come back after two years, but they sent out. I think enough missionaries that 13,000 people got saved in West Indies before the earliest missionaries ever went to the West Indies. This Moravian guy is basically sent out. Okay, You know, when they came back, they, they, the Moravian sent a bunch of people to America. Why I'm saying Moravian history is very important for you to know this. They couldn't form the church, I think, where they went, South Carolina somewhere. They couldn't basically uh, form the church over there. So they moved to Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Do you know who gave them the land over there? George Whitfield. George Whitfield was considered the fiery hot preacher of America. Okay, you know who came from with the Moravians? It was John Wesley. John Wesley came from Moravian with this guy, David Nishman, and they basically set up Bethlehem, PA. That's your history. Christian history. This is how we have to know is that what we began from, we began from prayer. We began from that hotbed of prayer, of persecution, and we just stayed that course. Hundreds of years. Are you wanting to go back to that, what you came from? This is where the call of the church is. To see the power and to see the thing. I have no other 10 strategies for you. The only strategy is you coming, becoming real with God, that the power comes in because you are giving it to him as a reward of his suffering. You know, to us, working miracles and all is more now, I, I'll say to us, sorry, I'm, I'm bad. <laughs> I don't want to put people in a box, but when people do miracle, miracle signs and wonders, if this was the whole thing is unto him, we would be having more miracles and all because it, but coming soon will be a time where there'll be people you won't even know who are just, who prayed for you? Somebody prayed for me and you went. He just went. We, we need to come with that kind of a thing. It's not about us, it's up to him. As a mirror, I want to reflect that. You know, when I, you walk into the room and if I was the mirror, mirror and the light was reflecting on me, you would look at me, you would get drawn to me, and then you would want to see who that is. That is our job. Reflecting it back unto him and saying, hey, look to Jesus. I feel this is where we basically are going to go. I feel this. And what is crazy is, I thought of it, 1727. We're not too far from, what, 400 years. You know, and God always works like stuff like that. It's like, this whole decade is the decade of basically where you're going to, what do you say, build the house, okay? So whether it's building the church, focusing on what God has called to, so you're basically you know, making sure that everything is set right and believing that God is going to start moving. As a church, this is where we are. The, the reason we suddenly feel this draw for 
hunger for a power of a reaching out to people is not because of what we want to do. It comes from his heart. You see? And when it's from his heart, you just have to follow. You just have to know and go in which direction and just say, okay, will I make mistakes? Sure. Am I comfortable with making mistakes? Yeah. Because I don't learn unless I make mistakes. And then you don't do it again. Because, hey, you know, seven times you fail. But you have to get up. Tenacity. We need that tenacity where we are like, hey, we are not perfect, but we are ready to fall. And we are going to hit our knees faster. Because where you, when you're used to falling on your knees, then you're, it's easy for you to fall down another time and get up. But when you're not used to going on your knees, nah, you're not going to do that. When you're used to like being like abashed and you're just going to be like snot coming out your face, you're going to welcome anything that God does. You're going to say, touch your head? Yeah, touch my head. To do ten, ten, go ten times around, you're going to do that. You're going to do whatever he says. So let's just pray. I just feel this prayer. Just join. Father, we just come to you in the name of Jesus, oh God.